Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, and he says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And while indeed acknowledging that all scripture is a precious gift from God, we also acknowledge that there are certain parts of scripture, certain passages uh, that are especially precious and important to us. We have favourite passages. I remember my mum, I think she knew all the Gaelic Psalms off by heart. And even when she had lost all other reasons, she would still remember the Psalms. We all have favourite passages. And uh, for me, John's Gospel, chapter 13 to 17, um, is, is one such wonderful passage of Scripture. I'm sure we would all acknowledge that. Um, in the first 12 chapters of John, Jesus, having proclaimed the message of the Gospel and um, uh, profe- uh, shown his, his, his power and his divinity um, through his signs and miracles in, in chapters uh, 1 to 12, um, the teaching and the miracles that drew so many people that testified that he was God, that he was the way and the truth and the life, as he says. He now, after that, turns away from the world and he draws his disciples to himself into the upper room, into a special place of intimacy. And in these four chapters, he he. Uh, he, he speaks to them words of love and encouragement. And so too, as we read uh, the beginning here of chapter 13, we too are entering a very special place tonight. We are being drawn in the same way through the word of God into an intimate embrace with Jesus Christ. Because we're looking here at part of what one commentator calls love letters, from the Lord. And that's a beautiful description for these chapters and the words that we have read here are private and intimate words from Jesus just to his disciples, from Jesus to those who truly love him. And at this communion season, I think it's appropriate, very suitable passage for us to look at together tonight. And as we prepare, or as we said, ask God to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table tomorrow morning. Let us then prepare our hearts uh, and be prepared to be drawn into uh, that special intimate embrace with Jesus that we so long for. uh, And that again tomorrow we hope to experience. So we'll look at this passage together. Verse 1 says it was just before the Passover, feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. We have a a road to recovery group in Smithton Church, and we use the New Living Translation. And if you'll forgive me, I'm going to use the the, the, that translation for the end of this of this verse here it says he loved them to the end or as the new living translation says he now showed them 
the full extent of his love. He now showed them the full extent of his love. And again, these are beautiful words that paint for us a beautiful picture of our Lord. I want to ask three very simple questions tonight. Uh, First of all, who does Jesus love in this way? How does Jesus love them? And why does Jesus love them? The first question, who does Jesus love with this special, intimate, loving embrace? Who does Jesus hold in this loving embrace? To whom does he reveal, as the NLT says, the full extent of his love? Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of the world. So who are his own? Who is it that Jesus holds in this loving embrace? And the answer is actually given a number of times in John's Gospel as we read through the Gospel. Chapter 1 and verse 12 tells us, To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Chapter 1 verse 13 tells us that they are those who are born again not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Chapter 6, verses 37 and 44, they are those who have been given to Christ by God the Father. He says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Chapter 10, chapter 10, rather, verses 11 and 15, tell us that they are sheep, the sheep, lost sheep for whom Jesus is going uh, to die. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Chapter 10, verse 27, a bit later on, says that these sheep are those who hear his voice. And verses 28 and 29 of chapter 10 says those, they are those to whom Christ gives eternal life, who shall never perish, and who no one can pluck out of his hand. And you see, with these different definitions, if you like, of who his own are, uh, there's a specific distinction being made here, isn't there, between those who belong to Christ, those who are his own, and those who don't. And that distinction will be shown out again tomorrow morning as we gather at the Lord's table. And this is the first question for us really this evening as we search our own hearts, really is to ask, am I his own? Do I belong to Jesus Christ? Am I his? And this is especially important tonight for any who may be wrestling with this question. And people who are halting between two opinions, as they would say, and just not sure Am I his own? Am I not? Someone maybe in here tonight would love to profess faith in Christ, would love to stand up uh, and come to the table tomorrow and profess faith. And yet, and yet, I just can't find the strength or the courage or the faith. So how, how do we know? How do we know Tonight that we are his own, that we belong to Christ. 
John chapter 3 again, Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. And Jesus is saying that to become one of his own, we need to be born again. We need to be changed spiritually. We need to have our hearts changed, made new by the Holy Spirit through a process. The Bible teaches us a process of repentance and faith. And just to look at that, a very basics of our, of our faith really, uh, very simple truths and yet truths that have life-changing, eternal consequences. First of all, a, a simple truth, we need to see and accept that we are sinners. Understand that as someone once said, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Accept the truth that the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And that's not easy to do. That's a very challenging description. Someone also said the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. John Murdo needs to accept that his heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. The second thing we need to acknowledge is that we need to be forgiven by God because ultimately it is against God that we sin. It is we fall short of God's law. David says in repentance in Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned, and your sight done this ill. And like David, we too need to repent, to turn away from sin. To say sorry to God. To ask forgiveness. So we need to see that we are sinners. Believe that we are sinners. That our hearts are sinful. And that we need to be forgiven by God. And thirdly, we need to accept that there is only one remedy for our sin. There is only one way to receive forgiveness. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Not through what we can do. Or try to do, but to have faith completely and totally in the work of Jesus Christ. Complete and absolute faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection as payment for our sins. We need to understand and believe that we are sinners. We need to understand and see and believe that we need forgiveness from God, and we need to see and understand and believe that there is only one remedy and only one way to get that forgiveness, and it is through the blood of Christ. And that is why we gather tomorrow morning around the Lord's table. The hymn writer says, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Do we believe that tonight? Do we believe that we're sinful? Do we believe that we need God's forgiveness? And do we believe with all our hearts that there is only one way to receive that forgiveness? Let's not make it any more complicated than that. If we do, if we do believe that, then I believe that God has opened our eyes to see our need of Christ and that we are born again. Because by nature we can't see that. Far from it.
If our love were but more simple, we would take him at his word, and her lives would be all gladness in the joy of Christ our Lord. Let's not overcomplicate things. <coughs> Keep it simple. Take him at his word. Accept that we are sinners separated from God by our sins and that we need to repent and ask forgiveness. You know what Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says? It's a promise from God. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's not me saying that. That's not any minister or elder saying that. That's the Lord saying that. That's God's word. And in conjunction with what we're doing tomorrow morning, God willing, again in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's not make it any more complicated than that, because God doesn't. Are we trusted completely and wholly in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as being the only sufficient remedy for our sins to reconcile us to God? And have we come to receive that intimate and loving embrace of Christ at the cross of Calvary? Oswald Chambers uh, quoted, At the back of the wall of the world stands God with his arms outstretched. And he's talking about the cross. And every person driven there is driven into the arms of God. The cross of Jesus is the supreme example of the love of God. Have we come to the cross? Do we know that embrace? Are we his own? We'll speak about, a bit about that before we finish. See, a lot of people think that they can atone for their own sin. Uh, there was a lady in America, I think, uh, the story was, and um, after the film The Passion of the Christ was released, and uh, there was a lot of publicity. And this woman called Madeline Evans says, I have no difficulty in believing that Jesus Christ died for sin, but I want no part in it. And then she said, I will pay for my own sins. Thank you very much. And I'm sure she probably has, unless she turned again and found Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that we can't atone for our own sins. Even our righteous acts, the Bible says, are like, are, are like filthy rags. That's awesome to consider. The only way, the only remedy for our sin is the cross of Christ, the blood of the Saviour. John Stott says, you know, we think that... Our, <laughs> Our actions are, are so good and we, we take pride in doing good and there's nothing wrong with doing good. That's very important. But here's what John Stott says and this puts out good acts in perspective. He says in the cross of Christ, he says, only one act of pure love, unsullied by any taint of ulterior motive, has ever been performed in the history of the world, namely the self-giving of God in Christ on the cross for undeserving sinners. The hymn writer puts it like this. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide, 
Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Have we experienced that kiss of love? Have we experienced the embrace of Christ? Are we his own? That is what we need to do, to search our own hearts, to come to the cross uh, again and again, where Jesus Christ has, has uh, uh, accomplished this wonderful uh, salvation for us. And again, we'll be speaking more and looking at that uh, and what he did tomorrow morning. Are we truly his own, held fast in his loving embrace? This is the most important question that we will ever have uh, to answer. You see, we may have many questions in our hearts and in our minds tonight as we gather to worship God. But death or time will remove all others. All the questions that we struggle with tonight, either time or death, will remove except this one. Am I his own? Am I Christ's? Because that question will follow us from time into eternity and its consequences are serious. Today is the day of salvation, the scriptures tell us. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, even if you're sitting here in fear and trembling and you know that you need Christ, just come. Don't make it complicated. Let him take care of the fear and the trembling as he's done for every soul in here who has professed faith in him. I promise you he will take care of the fear and the trembling. You see, only the Holy Spirit really can impress upon us through the word of God that we are his own. My words can't convince anybody. Holy Spirit, I pray that if there is anyone in here here tonight that wants to take um, a step forward in faith and to profess Christ as Saviour, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you would give the courage and the strength and the faith uh, to walk on uh, to faith and to profess the Lord Jesus as Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen. First question then, who are his own? Well, we've gone through that, haven't we? Those who have been born again into a living, loving, saving relationship with Christ through uh, repentance and faith. Born again by the Holy Spirit, trusted in his work on the cross, sins washed away by his blood. Second question, how does Jesus love them? How does he show them the full extent of his love? He loved them to the end, or he showed them the full extent of his love. How does he do this? Well, this passage here is the most powerful parable. It's a picture of our salvation when we look at it. In verses 4 and 5, we put it in context. Jesus was waiting um, uh, until everyone was reclining at the table. Now, no one had offered, we noticed, to do the food washing. That was a traditional mark of hospitality in the East. It was the duty of a servant to come and wash the feet before coming to someone's house for dinner 
uh, people would bathe, have a bath, and then as they walked through the streets that were dusty and muddy and dirty, they would get their feet dirty. Quite a practical thing. And it would then be the duty of a servant to wash their feet as they arrived uh, as guests at, at somebody's house. Here in the upper uh, room, it's interesting to see that no one has done the feet washing. That's very interesting. And I, I, you ask the question, well, why? Did they think it was beneath them? Did they think they were too important? They all knew it was a traditional thing. Did they? There were obviously no servants there to do it. Did the disciples think that they were too important? I don't know. But we do know uh, that nobody did the foot washing. And that's a challenge to us tonight, to each one of us, um, with regard to our own service uh, to others. But once they had settled without a word in verse 4, Jesus rose, he took off his outer garments. That was really a mask, very important thing. He was reducing himself to the position of a slave and then he knelt in front of each one of them and he washed their feet. And they were shocked and stunned and embarrassed. They didn't know what to say, especially Peter, who reacts in his own characteristic way. No, never, Lord, you'll ever wash my feet. Um, one commentator says how grateful we ought to be for Peter. He always does what we would have done if we'd been there. See, he's offended by the Lord's actions. You'll never wash my feet. I'll never let you do that. And Jesus, as we know, responds with the statement, if, you, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Uh, Peter, as Jesus says here, didn't understand what was being done. Uh, and I wonder if we can see this. Um, this is the most beautiful picture, parable, if you like, of love, of our salvation. And we see it, I think we have to see it in, in, in the context of verse 3. You remember verse 3, Jesus knew uh, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knows, he clearly knows his own authority here. He knows that he's God, he knows that he's um, he knows that he's going to die on a cross. He knows that he's returning to heaven. And this is what he does. First of all, Jesus rose. And secondly, Jesus put aside his outer clothing. And thirdly, he knelt and washed his disciples' feet. And that, to my mind, is a wonderful parable of our salvation. First of all, he rose. Now that speaks to us. It reflects that Jesus Christ rose from his throne in heaven. And he said to the Father, um, I will go and I will save them. I will love them and I will die for them. And then as someone said, for our sakes he stepped across the stars and was born in a manger in Bethlehem. Let's read it in conjunction, read this in conjunction with Philippians 2. Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, remember, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped or something to be used for his own advantage. Jesus rose from his throne in heaven to come to die on a cross for you and for me. And then the second thing he does here, he laid aside his garments. 
And that depicts the way in which he laid aside his glory. And he did that for you and for me. He set aside his glory, rose from his throne, set aside his glory, and took bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And then he, again Philippians 2, he did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He did not consider his throne in heaven, his position of power and of glory, as something to be used for his own advantage or something to be grasped for himself. Rather, he rose, set aside his glory, and came to die for you and for me. And then thirdly here we see in this parable that we have of salvation, he washed his disciples' feet. And that speaks of going to the cross. He washed the dirty and dusty feet of his disciples. The master washes the disciples' feet. He cleaned them and dried them. Can we really see here, can we see this picture of his love, the picture of the cross? He became obedient to cross, to death, again Philippians 2, even death on a cross. He rose from his throne in heaven. He set aside his glory and he came to die on a cross for you and for me. This really, his actions here uh, are a parable, uh, a spiritual parable of what he has actually done as God. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to see the wonder that this picture um, portrays. The marvel of the the Son of God rising from his throne, setting aside his glory and coming to wash us clean. Amen. The first question, who are his own? We've answered that, those who are washed in his blood and saved by his love. Second question, how does Jesus loved them by rising from his throne in heaven, setting aside his glory and dying on a cross so that you and I can be saved. A willing and sinless sacrifice for our sins. On the cross he poured out his heart of love for you and for me. On the cross his heart was broken for us. We'll speak more of that tomorrow so that our hearts could be healed and restored. O oh, wondrous love to bleed and die to bear the cross and shame that guilty sinners such as I could plead thy wondrous name. Third, final question, why did Jesus do this? Why was he willing to do this? Well, firstly, because he knows and knew that it was absolutely necessary for our salvation. We couldn't do this for ourselves. And if there is anybody in here who is still trying laboring under the misapprehension that you can save yourself, please stop. Because the Son of God knew very well that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross is the remedy for sin. All religion, all philosophy, all economic, political arguments or plans will fail us. 
There is only one remedy and there is only one hope for this world and that is the cross of Christ. And that's a fact. It is the only remedy that is sufficient to save us and to save our world. There is no other way. And again, before we finish, we'll look here at a a two-part process here. Uh, First of all, uh, there is a once and for all cleansing. We spoke about that, about accepting these three truths, that we're sinners, that we need forgiveness from God, that Christ is the only Saviour. And then we come and we are born again as we come to believe that and to know that in our hearts. It is the Holy Spirit that opens up our minds and our hearts to let us know that. If you believe that tonight, truly from your heart, then you are born again. So there's a first once and for all bath as, as, as uh, Jesus said, those who've had a bath uh, don't need to be uh, cleaned, but just their feet. Well, what does that foot wash, what does this symbolize? Well, can I put it this way? Um, last Tuesday, I put out the bin. Next Tuesday, I'll have to put the bin out again. It's not a one-off thing. Uh, I accumulate a lot of rubbish. And what's true in that sense is also true spiritually. I accumulate a, a lot of rubbish there as well. You see, I don't know about you, but I sin every day. And I need to put the bin out every day in a spiritual sense. I need my feet washed by Christ every day. Because I sin on a daily basis. And what hinges upon this, this is particularly relevant to this time of communion, if we want to keep a close and loving fellowship and embrace with Christ, if we want to keep that love sweet and fresh and new, then we need to have our feet washed every day. If we want to walk in close fellowship with Christ, uh, then we must learn every day to acknowledge our shortcomings and sins, especially at this time. It's a good time. To take stock, repent of our sin, let him wash our feet again and again, day by day. Keep our fellowships sweet, keep close to him. So Jesus does this firstly because it's absolutely necessary for our salvation. There is no other way that we can be saved, none. But he also does it because he wants to, because he loves to, he longs to do it. If tonight again you are struggling, halting between two opinions, Jesus Christ would love to clean, to cleanse you from sin. And Jesus' love here, his behavior here, his attitude, his actions here, is really a picture, a pictured parable, if you like, of our salvation. And it is the only way. Just a couple of words before I finish. Uh, to anyone, like I said, who may be uh, wanting to profess faith in the Lord. Um, I'm going to pinch one of Anasien's examples. He doesn't know, he won't know it. Don't tell him. Seeing he's not here, I can do it. At the communion service in Kyle and Anasien was preaching. And he said, now you're sitting here tonight, he said, and I'll ask you the question, are you a sinner? 
And they'll say, oh yes. And I'll ask you, do you need forgiveness? Oh yes. Do you believe Jesus died for sinners? Oh yes, I do. And I'll ask you, do you love Jesus? Oh yes. Then you'll come to the table, oh no. And he said, what you're doing is you're making the sacrament more important than the Lord of the sacrament. And there was a young man sitting there that night and he came to me after the service and he said, you know, that's exactly what I've been doing for years. I could answer yes to all of these questions. I'm a sinner. Do I need forgiveness? Yes. Do, do I believe Jesus died? Yes. Do I love Jesus? Yes. Come to the table, no. And for us who have professed faith, you see, we come, Jesus saying, come, all is prepared for you. All has been done. Come, not because you've earned it, but because it is freely and lovingly given. We come to celebrate God's victory, Christ's victory over sin, not ours. We come to celebrate not so much who we are, but as we said, whose we are. We are his own. We come not because we are great, but because Christ is great. We come not as perfect people, but as forgiven people, and people willing to be changed by the grace and the love of God. <clears throat> we come as people who make mistakes, who stray from the state and narrow every day. People who mess up relationships, people who get angry and jealous and bitter, people who mess up, tread on the toes of others. We come in brokenness, we come with low self-esteem, we come with our questions, we come with our feelings of insecurity, our own insecurity. And we come as people who are sorry for our mistakes, but we come as people who are loved and who have been saved by the grace of God. And that is who we come to and put our trust in. Let me just finish. I've spoken for too long. Uh, Watchman Nee writes this, and I think this is quite a, a good thing to finish with tonight. He says, God blesses us with so many things. Our hands are full with the many blessings of God. And sometimes God reaches out to us to take our hand. And he says, our hands are so full of the blessings of God that we have no hand to take God's hand. Now is such a time to examine our hands and to see which of God's blessings we are holding on so to so tightly that they have become more precious than Christ. And it's time to empty our hands in preparation for tomorrow. And we not only empty our hands, we empty our hearts too. Of these sinful attitudes that I've spoken of that I can find so easily in my own heart. Any unconfessed sins, anything that would get in the way of God pouring out his blessing into our hearts. Because that's what Jesus wants to do tonight.
And as we prepare and ask God to prepare us, let's empty our hands and our hearts of all things that would take the place of Jesus or take away his love and his blessing. And let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as we stand before you and as we worship you, so we empty our hands and our hearts of all of these things that claim our time and our attention and above all our love. And we turn back in repentance to you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way in our hearts and in our lives. And that you would prepare us tomorrow to feast upon the salvation that you have purchased for us with your blood. To come into that loving embrace that you so much long to hold us in. Uh, Help us, Lord, to come uh, not as deserving people but as people who are loved more than we can imagine and people uh, for whom you have shed your blood, people whom you love uh, and uh, people whom you uh, bid to come. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Amen.